We just finished 1 Timothy, which was Peter's letter that passed, they call them 1 and 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus are called the uh, pastoral epistles. Uh, and Peter wrote all of those, and he wrote Timothy to his son in the ministry about how to run the church and particularly the church at Corinth. Now we're going to another letter that Peter wrote. He wrote two other letters, First Peter. Yes? Peter or Paul wrote these? Peter? Oh, uh, Peter. Paul wrote first. I have been saying Peter. Sorry. You're right, Sarge. Thank you for correcting me. Paul wrote to Timothy at Paul. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, which was one of the which was one of the churches that Paul planted. Paul planted in in that Asia, the the place that is Turkey now. Um, so these letters connect a lot with First Timothy, though um, we'll see a few things that are similar in them. First Peter is where we are. First Peter chapter one. I'm sorry. Um, names that start with the same letter get co- get complicated in my head, and I have a story, but I'm not going to tell it now. Um, so we start with verse one, chapter one, Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who do you think wrote this letter? Peter. It says it right there. It's so funny to me how if, the, if it says that at the beginning of a, of a book in the New Testament, nobody ever questions that Peter wrote that. But Yvonne could have written this just as easily if she had lived 2,000 years ago. She could have writ, written this in, just as easily and put Peter at the beginning of it, but nobody questions it because it's got Peter at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, What's the dispersion? The scattering. If it has, if it has, yes, right. It's the same as dispersing feed to the chickens. Um, that's how my grandmother fed the chickens. She spread it like that. The dispersion. But when it's got a capital D on in front of it, what does it usually mean? It means usually means the Jews who were spread out after 70 AD. This is in this is before that. This is about 64 AD. And dispersion when it has a big D, it usually is referred to as the dispersion. And I know it says the dispersion right there, but there's no there's no the in the Greek part of that. So that this is a different dispersion. And we'll talk about what it is in a few minutes. Um, it's not the dispersion. It's a scattering of the people that live. And he's writing the people that live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that's just talking about that it was God's plan all along that this church group, this group that is the church would be chosen there uh, through the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience 
and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That's just a long, long <laughs> kind of to, to you guys, you're awesome, woohoo. Uh, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God. This is a big, long salutation. Just like Paul has salutations at the beginning of all his letters, uh, this is one of those. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according, am I on? Oh, the, um, yep. are you getting me? This. Okay, I'm not on, I haven't turned the amps on. Were you even speaking louder than normal? So. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Can everybody hear me? Yeah. yeah. All right, I won't worry about it. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. What does begotten us again mean? That's talking about our birth. We, we, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. What what does inheritance incorruptible mean? Eternal. Inheritance is just what we get like from a will, but this one's incorruptible. We're going to see why all of his words are so important in just a moment. Yeah, they corrupted it. Uh, well, and anything that's not eternal is corruptible. It, and a lot of times corruption means, it's talking about it dies. And it, di- and it dies and then it rots and then it, all that. Well, the Amplified says, born anew into an inheritance which is beyond the reach of change and decay, imperishable, unsold, and unfading, reserved to heaven for you. Good. That decay yeah. is a is a big thing, um, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Okay, so he's when we talked just a minute ago about the people on the prayer list about keeping your mind right. That's what Peter is doing, and I may say Paul again. I'll just tell you, that's what Peter is doing right here. He's he's saying. He's programming them to think the right way because, okay, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The last time often means the end times, but, and that it can mean that, but it can, it also means these later times the time that we're living in right now, um, that God was working on it a long time ago, but it's for now. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter sets it up and saying, you got to think right, get your mind right, just like from Cool Hand Luke. If you've never seen that, you need to see it. Um, get your mind right, even the, because I know you're having some problems right now. Now we're going to back up and talk about what's going on uh, to in this Asia where he's written these letters to. These were people that lived in Rome in the year 64 A.D. 
So it's about 30 years after the crucifixion, 30 years into the new life of the church, um, in 64 AD, July the 18th. You know how I know when it was? Not speculation or anything like that. It's written in the history books. What happened? July the 18th, 64 AD. It was a great fire of Rome. What was Nero doing when the when Rome burned? Fiddling. What? Fiddling. Okay. Sarge, what were you going to say? History theorizes that he was playing his fiddle. <laughs> uh, which they didn't actually have fiddles back then. He was playing, the, one of the stories is that he was playing the lyre. There's a, several stories that involve him singing, in the opera house, or one, one of, or the other of them, uh, that he was dancing, that all kinds of things. But the, a lot of stories, and I, when there's a lot of stories that have almost the same thing, maybe you can trust in those stories. But Nero actually probably wasn't in Rome during the whole fire because the fire lasted for 10 days. Um, I think that he was actually in his, um, he had a small palace, like a summer house. He had that out uh, uh, about 30 miles away, and the town escapes me right now. But he, he was there. I think he was there because he said, it couldn't have been me because I, didn't, I wasn't even in Rome at the time. I think that was his alibi. But he comes back after the fire's put out, and the fire starts up again. One of the stories is that he set the fires so that he could build more stuff. Because if it all burned down, well, then you go, well, sorry. Okay, I have to tell the story. When Pam and I were in college in Howard Payne in Brownwood, there was a, there was a president there. Oh, okay. There was a president there. I know what you were about to say. I'm not going to say what his name is and put it on the tape or anything, but there was a president there, and he was building things, built buildings all over the place, and, but then he ran out of money, and uh, surprisingly, and I'm using air quotes, surprisingly, our old main building burned down. This beautiful rock building that had been there over 100 years I had classes in there. It was it, on, on, our, on our rings, our college graduation rings. It was the picture that was on the, on the thing. Uh, on my diploma, there is a picture of Old Main on there. Um, I was in a class with, uh, I was in an art class with a famous um, watercolor painter, and in that class, he painted a painting of Old Main that became famous. I mean, it was this beautiful, beautiful three-story building, had circular turrets on it. It looked like a castle. It burned down, and then there was enough money from the insurance from that building to build a to another the building. building he was working on. Huh? To finish the building building that he'd already started and put his name on it. And most of us who were in college during that time think that he actually set the fire. (laughs) 
That's the story that's been told about Nero, is that he sent somebody to set these... He didn't literally set them himself. He didn't ever lift a finger to do anything, probably. He was a very spoiled, rich Caesar uh, of Rome. And so Rome burns, and he's going, whoa, this is, this is pretty good. I think he really did sing or play his harp or whatever or his fiddle, uh, I think he really did do that. And then after it was over, he's going, whoa, now we, we've cleared out the space that those people were griping about. They didn't want to lose their homes. And I, I can finally build my fancy palace. What? People aren't happy about it? People aren't happy that their houses all burned down? People, uh-oh. Uh, I got to come up with some kind of story. Oh, I know. Those stinking Christians. They're the ones that did it. So the Christian, the church. Say that again, Jimmy. That sounds like today. One of the reasons why I was led to 1 Peter is because we're going into this election season and there's some stuff in 1 Peter about how we're supposed to behave. So that's one of the reasons I went there, Jimmy. So thank you for that. I just got through reading it. I, I do think that, um, I mean, the church has been blamed for some things through the ages, and it certainly went on in these that first hundred years through the beginning of the church up until 312 when it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire, uh, up until that time, there's persecution after persecution. And this is, so this is the Nero persecution. The uses, the uses are preaching against them because they preach that God destroyed the world one time with water. He's going to do it again with fire. Uh, okay. And so that's why it, it sounded, you know, this sounds good. Just like Christians nowadays that God is going to, you know, uh, drain the swamp. Uh, so, yeah, this, yeah. This is following the same line, same storyline. Well, that a, a storyline that may that's metaphorical or whatever can be, and so Nero used that against them, um, and so that's the trials that they're going through right now. They're going through the the trial. There have been seven fires in. Um, there have been seven huge fires that had destroyed portions of Rome. Uh, in the 60 years before this fire, there have been seven huge fires. But this fire destroyed a lot more than I think they meant to destroy. It destroyed 75% of the city. Wow. Can you imagine uh, New York City if something destroyed 75% of it? I mean, look at what, look at what September 11th did. It destroyed just a few buildings down there in the, in that down on that south end and um, of Manhattan, uh, and look how it uh, the problems that it caused. For I mean, it was huge. That's how bad this Roman fire was. So they had gone through a lot of them losing their homes and and losing their jobs, losing the land that they had lived in. And so they had, when he calls them the pilgrims of the dispersion back there in verse 1, that the word there is, a lot of places, it's called the sojourner. 
that they're just wanderers, basically. They're just traveling. Um, dealing with all the bad water and the weird food and all the things that they were going through on top of everything else. They are suffering from various trials in verse 6 right there. Various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. There he's talking again. Getting your mind right. Sure, you may have lost stuff, but this is more important than that because even gold perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to uh, praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the, the revelation that you possess is more important than any other possession you could have, whom having not seen, you love. So you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory, that's all one word stuck together, joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's the most important thing. Yes. Uh, that's the only thing that matters. The salvation of your soul, verse 9. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching... Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Okay, there's a lot uh, kind of roundabout language there. But, but we have Jesus testified of in Isaiah and Psalms uh, and all of the prophets, and he's mentioned them, that the prophets who were, that they searched. He's saying, you already know... <laughs> What other people, with what the prophets wished they had known, because they searched and searched for the what or what manner of time. So he's talking about the who and the when. They didn't know who it was going to be, and they didn't know when it was going to happen, and they've searched for it, and you already know it. Um, and how awesome is that? Man, I'm so. When Paul talks about the awesomeness of the gospel and the knowledge that has come, and that the, in these first century Christians, he said, you know things that the, that the Old Testament believers, they only wished for. They only had an idea. They came close to it and never got there. But you, and you know that. And when I look at that, that what Paul is saying about those first century Christians, and then I... We, we have that same thing, but even more, because we have that scripture. We have the Bible. We have a further revelation, uh, the things that they were getting orally from Paul and Peter and, and all, of the, all of the other New Testament apostles. Um, but he's saying, you've got this that they wish to know. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. He said, man, even the angels wish they knew what you knew. Well, I don't think they understood. No. 
Because they said in Psalms, what is it, 8? What is man? They were there at the creation. And they didn't understand what was going on. Right. You mean the angels? Yeah, the angels. It's amazing that, that they have a limited revelation. Yeah. So they would want to look into it. Yeah. Well, but these New Testament believers have the Holy Spirit too. Yeah. And so we can know things that they were incapable of knowing. That's right. But that's what he's saying. Even the angels, they just wish that they knew what you knew. Again, he's getting, he's wanting them to get your mind right. Yes, you've lost stuff. Yes, you're not in the home that you grew up in. You're, you're, you're vagabonds right now. You're like hobos riding the freight train from place to place. Yeah, you don't have a place, but you've got stuff that the angels wish they had. Verse 13. Therefore, because of all that, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loin, your loins. You know what? That he's... When they wore these what robes, right? Well, they would reach down there and pull. Uh, I've seen the Pentecostal women who are working on the roof of the house. I've seen them do this. Um, reach down there and tuck, take that skirt and tuck it in your belt right there because then you can move and you can run. That's what he's talking about. Gird up your loins. That's what it is. The Amplified uses the word brace. Brace? Brace. Uh, I'm not sure that covers it all. This is gird so it like minds. Be sober. Gird it like a girdle. <laughs> yes, but it, the point is, it's your mind. Pull it. Get it together, man. Yes. Um. <laughs> in the movie Moonstruck, when Cher strikes uh, Nicholas Cage and she slaps him, he goes, "Snap out of it." That's what Paul's doing here. He said, come on, guys, get it together. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. Don't be whining about what you had before or what, because... And I think that he may be referring to some of the stuff that Paul referred to in Hebrews. He said, you can't go back to the way things were because Jesus is so much more than that. And I think that's what he's saying. Don't slip back into your former thinking and what you did as in your ignorance right before 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That's in Leviticus uh, chapter... Well, in Leviticus, he says it many, many times. Be holy. Be holy as I am holy. God's different. God's different from any other God that anybody ever made up. He's separate from everything else. And so holy isn't us, uh, isn't us talking like this and being all about Jesus. It's just that we're different. That, that we've got to be different from the world around us. Be holy as I am holy, verse 16. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's own work, 
each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay there or here in fear. Not paralyzing fear, worrying about what will happen, but in reverential fear of God, um, knowing that on your stay here, uh, that your stay, he's talking, that doesn't really sound, that's not a good word, it's your sojourn. On your travels, uh, conduct yourselves in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, the things that will rust and, and rot like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, because they'd all come at... These Romans worshipped multiple gods. They, had, they made gods out of their family and... and gra- you know, they had little figures of grandpa and pray, prayed to him and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Receive the tradition by your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So um, manifested in these last times. So Jesus was in the beginning, just like in John 1 and 1 John 1. He was in the beginning before all that, but he was manifested in the flesh in these times that, that these people lived in. There were tons of people alive at the writing of this letter who had been with Jesus, knew knew somebody who knew Jesus, the apostles they had been ministered to, and those people had seen Jesus, had eaten with him, had walked with him. Um, So in in those times, Jesus was made manifest, living in the flesh for them, for, for these people that he's writing to. He said, for you. Who through him believing God, who raised him from the dead, and is that and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. He returned; God returned Jesus to his former glory, the same glory that he had in the beginning, when he was he was not glorified when he was walking amongst us. That's one of the weird things that the Gnostics, that religious sect, that said. No, Jesus, Jesus, because their idea of who God was didn't allow them to believe that Jesus could be God and be in the flesh. Their thinking just didn't compute with that. Well, so this John seventeen, that's what he prayed that the same glory before he had with the Father when he's praying in the garden. Yeah, that's right. That same argument is kind of what you're talking about because I'm seeing a whole lot of Muslims that use that argument towards Christians. What? That Jesus wasn't that God? Jesus can't be man and was God. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, mm-hmm. and that's why a lot of Christians this next year or two are going to be really, if they don't know the Word of God. They're going to be challenged. Yeah. Right. Um, that has been a mystery that's hard for anybody. It's easy for us because we've grown up with it. But when the, I mean, like all throughout the pagan nations in Europe and in Germany and in the Vikings and all those people, when they heard the gospel, it did not make any sense to them. 
They didn't understand why God in the first place. Why would you let him be? Why would why would he let those guys crucify him on the cross? That just didn't make any sense at all. It didn't make any sense to these Greeks either. So they made up a story about it that he wasn't God. But uh, that's challenged right here. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Okay. Since you've purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit, so you've obeyed the truth in sincere love. That's how they were demonstrating that they, that they were obeying the truth was through their sincere love of the brethren. Except that word sincere is, it is anipokritos, which means on is not hypocrites. Not hypocritical love of the brethren, but he's, that, that is a word, that's Philadelphia. Philo, which is the word, the love word that just means friendly love. When Jesus, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He said, agape. And, and Peter answers him back, yeah, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I love you friendly. That's what he's saying right here. In sincere love of the brethren. But then he says, Come, so you've done this through sincere love of the brethren, but I'm telling you, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And that word love is agape. Yeah. It means unconditional, a love that's beyond any other love, any other love. It's uh, completely unconditional. So he's saying, it, as you're obeying the truth, Demonstrate your obedience in it or live it out by loving one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, okay, the word of God which abides, which abides, period. It says forever, that word's not even there. But it, they said abides forever. It really abides, period, works. Um, and he goes on to say, and he this quotes this, uh, this poem, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and, it, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is not logos, it's rhema. Rhema is the spoken word, God, it's the spoken word of God. The word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This, that rhema word. So it, there again in that poem he's saying, keep your mind right. There's stuff that doesn't last, and there's stuff that does last. And the stuff that lasts, the eternal stuff, is more important than any of the other stuff. We got just a few more minutes. I'm there, so, and therefore, he's starting, started several paragraphs with therefore. 
So he says, therefore, again, keeping your mind right, therefore, laying aside all mouth. And here's, here's where it's going to speak to us going into this election year. Because... Pray, stand forgiving. What? I said, when you pray, stand forgiving. That's the word the Lord gave me this year. We need prayer. We need to mention, God, I forgive the government. I forgive the Democrats. I forgive the Republicans. I forgive. Well, because our, here again, we got to keep our mind right. Because our, our hope isn't based on Who's in charge? That's right. Um, and we don't become hopeless if the wrong person gets in charge. God's still God. God is still God. Right. And we still have the promise that's in us, things that are things that last, things that are eternal. Therefore, laying aside all malice, that's the word for evil. Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you do it for the right reason. If it's evil speaking, it's wrong. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many, ever, how many have ever seen a baby with a bottle? That's the kind of desire that we're supposed to have for the Word. Yeah. Not anything else. Not our hope in whatever. We're supposed to desire the milk of the Word that same way. And if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Yeah. And whenever you see if indeed, and it's talking about a Christian principle, it means sense. Since you've tasted, because he knew that they had. Right. Just to be thankful. Mm -hmm. We forget. Yeah. Brother Lee preached it good. It's, <laughs> it is easy for us to forget because we've grown up with it. Um, I mean, does anybody think about when you turn on the tap and you get a drink of water and you drink it, how blessed we are to be able to do that? Yes, we are. Take a shower. We, amen. <laughs> Flush a toilet. Yeah, yeah. Take a shower. If you've ever been in the mountains for a week at a time and you get, to, somebody said, I heard that for $10, there's a little place down the road you can go and take a shower. I said, I'll pay a $100 bill for that right now. <laughs> And I would have too. I pulled the hundred dollar bill out. Whatever it takes, we take our we take the blessing of being saved yes. for granted. I, and I don't. We don't. But we don't value it. We don't think about it. We don't. We don't praise God every morning that I'm saved. Yes. I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. I confess that right now. Um, Good morning, Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't it awesome to get to talk to you, Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. That's good. I told my niece, that's what I told her, just to talk to him like she was talking to me. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, and some people have been brought up thinking you need a priest. Yeah, or a preacher. And we're going to stop right here, but we're going to talk about that next week. What it means to be a, that we are priests. We don't need a priest. Uh, we don't need somebody to speak for ourselves. Um, in, in Baptist circles, we called it the priesthood of the believer. And, it, that, and it's a good word for it, and we're going to talk about that a little more next time. Because I got all excited talking about some of the things, the fire. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to... I got a new message out of this, too. Because people always use, do you have your fire insurance? Okay. We're talking about, do you have your fire insurance against hell? Which I don't believe there's anything of fire insurance. you got to have insurance. Right. But the fire insurance, <laughs> the fire insurance is right here. God says, Peter's telling you, you're going to go through the fire. But God is ensuring you, you're going to make it out make without burning or without smelling like right. smoke. Yeah. That's the real fire insurance. Like right. the Hebrew children. Yeah. Fourth man in the fire. Yeah. So that's the real fire insurance we have, even come up to this election. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, we may not like some of the things that Peter has to say, too about submission to government, submission to masters, and submission. Nobody likes to talk about submission. But well, we need to say what it's not. I'll let you do that. <laughs> I'll plan on you doing that, Yvonne. You can talk about what it's not. It's not um, being dominated. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> I say that in, in Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 5.22, he says, wives submit your In 5.21, he says, submit yourselves to one another. And then all through the rest of chapter 5 and the first half of chapter 6, he talks about different ways that our submission is a circle. That for, for wife, your submission looks like this. But for husband, your submission looks like that. And for employers, your submission looks like this. Employees, your submission looks different. For children, your submission looks like this. Obey your parents. But for parents, your submission looks like don't drive them to rebel right, right. by by heavy-handed parenting. Yeah. We got to practice submission wherever we go. Because wherever we go, if we're not the one in charge, the only place, the only place we are in charge is our house, then we got to be submission everywhere. That's why Am I, I in charge of That's why I went, you know, 2020, when it went to some stores, they demanded a mask. When I give you the they're, they're in charge. It's their store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I said, yeah, and if you want to go in that store, you can wear a mask while you're in there. So, yeah. Right. Well, we did to do that, didn't we? <laughs> I didn't choose, then I did find a store where I didn't have to wear the mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's called a loophole. Yeah. <laughs> I'll submit something there, too. <laughs> Which is that thing that went over your ears. Yeah. We were standing outside at Lowe's. And this guy drove by just to hollering and tearing on because we didn't have a mask on outside. <laughs> yeah. It was funny to watch a person all by themselves on a motorcycle wearing a mask. mask. Yeah. That's the funniest thing I ever saw. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for it, that it is the revelation of yourself to us. And I thank you that we have it, that we... That we have that revelation of who you are in, as, as it were, from your own hand. Father, we're thankful for it. Um, thankful for the Holy Spirit that we can understand. 
and thankful for the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to effectively be Jesus where we go. May we not take that for granted, and we, may we take that job seriously as we go from this place. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.